Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Chet McMenamin, a Metro Philly, along with Philly.com's Michael Caskey Blumain. Go out, go out and add our podcast to the app Stitcher, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. So, Mike, uh, you know, this is my favorite time of the year. March Madness time is here. As Dick Vitale would say, it's uh, super scintillating, sensational. Uh, <laughs> you know, the games have been have been great so far. Uh, two, three seeds already have gone down. Uh, SMU just went down uh, a little bit ago to UCLA. Um, you know, I actually picked the, the Georgia State upset for today over Baylor, so I'm pretty happy about that. But, you, um, you know, there's always always these certain teams that you're wary of um, in terms of heading into the tournament. Uh, Baylor, Georgetown, Duke, you know, they seem to go out early. You're you're familiar with Pitt going out early with these, you know, higher seeds. But, um, you know, it seems like, um, you know, nearly every year one of these big teams goes out early. And, uh, you know, how do you rank this opening week of the tournament in your, you know, list of sporting events? Yeah, Jeff, I have to agree with you. It's uh, it's right up there as one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, it it always reminds me of back in like middle school, like begging my mom to let me stay home from school and like <laughs> pretend I was sick so I could watch all the tournament games. Uh, luckily now we get to do that as sort of a job. So I mean, it's always, especially <laughs> the, the, that first today and tomorrow, the first Thursday and Friday, where it's just wall-to-wall games from basically noon when I, you know, when you would like first start your day all the way to you'll be could be watching games till one at night, and you know the the quality, just the, the competitive nature with the with the one and done, you know, you know, winner go home about the whole tournament. It just makes it so exciting. There's so much passion and like you know, intensity on the line of basically every game. So it's really hard to beat, especially as, like, just a basketball fan in general. How could you not love the weekend, you know? Yeah, I mean, it it was really painful for me to start, uh, you know, anxiously awaiting Temple's name to be called on Sunday. And obviously, you know, they're now the top seed of the NIT tournament. So um, that was a little tough to deal with. But, yeah, I mean, um, to see – UCLA take out uh, SMU today. I can't really talk too much uh, about that. So, um, you know, uh, week for sports in general. I mean, so many great games. Um, you know, I remember, too, you know, during class trying to pull something up on my phone or whatever it may be um, to watch these games. 
but uh you know going going back to the sixers um you know we talked about last week just our nervousness surrounding Joel Embiid's foot and um you know having to wear a boot again and you know Brett Brown assuring everyone that every everything was fine and uh you know you got to see him um I guess with the boot off and practicing again, um, you know, shooting around before the games and, um, you know, how has he looked and does it seem like the training staff has been limited, limiting him maybe a little bit more since, uh, that freak out last week? Well, uh, he's definitely not doing any more through the legs dunks, uh, before the game. I can tell you that much. <laughs> They have. Uh, he's definitely been kept under wraps to a to a larger extent than it seemed he was um, up to the previous games. I didn't even uh, see him on the floor last night. I didn't get to the game until about six, but uh, I didn't even see him out there. He was out there over the weekend. He went. He was doing uh, some post work with uh, with one of the strength and coordinating coaches, but uh, mainly like footwork and around the basket stuff. He wasn't doing. Uh, like the the shooting that had become part of you know the three point shooting and the uh, you know the sort of one on one stuff that had become routine. I didn't see any of that, but I mean he seemed to be moving all right. Um, nothing you know nothing crazy in the, as far as how he looked physically, but I would say there's definitely been a you know a, a certain level of uh, security put in front of him. He definitely hasn't been out there as, uh, at least for like as far as for the public to see his workouts been cut back a little bit, but. Um, he seemed to he looked okay from what I could see. Yeah, I mean, I just breathed the sigh of, sigh of relief. Um, you know, I was very nervous and definitely overreacted a little bit. I think we both did last week, but uh, you know, it's it's very frightening um when things like this happen and in Philadelphia we're all too familiar with star athletes kind of getting that major injury that derails the rest of their career. So, um <laughs> You know, it's good to know that it's actually something minor and, you know, his boot's off and he's back to training pretty much as usual. Um, but, you know, moving on to Ish Smith and just his stellar play so far um, over the past five games, uh, you know, he's averaging four, 14.6 points, six four, sorry, 6.4 assists, and uh, I think he's definitely proved himself as the team's main distributor right now at the point, um, you know, despite a triple double from his counterpart, Reggie Jackson last night against the Pistons, uh, he seemed to be, you know, a huge factor in the team's win. What can you say about his play, you know, over the past five games? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And he's, uh, he's been proving me wrong. If you recall a couple, you know, a month ago or whatever, when they first added him, I was pretty skeptical to just, uh, I don't know, I thought, you know, he'd been bounced around. He's a little bit older. I thought they maybe could have taken a, a flyer on somebody else. But he's really impressed me with his play so far. One thing you notice is just his motor. I mean, he can just go from end to end, doesn't seem to get tired. It's kind of like you compared him to Tony Roden, I remember, earlier on in the season. Yeah, he does mm-hmm. resemble Roden in that, right? He can just go from rim to rim, and, you know, just, he doesn't get tired. And, uh you know his his distributing it's it's been uh, pleasantly surprising too. He can move the ball around. I mean, obviously a little bit better at that than Isaiah Cannon, who seems adept at really swinging the ball around the perimeter, but he has trouble kind of penetrating. Uh, whereas Ish, you know, his his uh, biggest strength is his ability to get into the paint, and that opens up you know everything 
in that game last night against the Pistons. His driving opened up with shots from uh, Jason Richardson, a couple a couple threes in the corner, Hollis, you know, some open looks for uh, Jeremy and uh, Covington too. So, it's, I mean, you have to start to wonder if that's the way he's playing, if that's a guy that they would look to keep, uh, you know, long-term past this season, maybe in a reserve-type role. His shooting hasn't been, you know, he's not he's not a great shooter, but it hasn't been god-awful. It could be, you know, it seems though he, he's getting a little more confident with it. So, I mean, overall, I would say his play has been pleasantly surprising. What do you think of the way he's been playing recently? Yeah, to me, he's Tony Roden 0.5. I mean, <laughs> he's not doing this stuff until later in his career, whereas Tony, you know, he's so young and has so much more to develop in this game. Um, you, you saw how, you know, Kyle Lowry didn't really come on till later in his career. And I think, you know, you can still make a case for Tony Roden possibly doing the same thing later on in his yeah. career. But uh, for, for Ish, I mean, his skill is his quickness and his athleticism. Like Brett Brown said in his post game yesterday, uh, you know, he just attacks a basket, finds open shooters, and, you know, that's exactly the type of test the Sixers need to end the season for their roster. Um, you know, when Carter Williams was here, he would try to do too much offensively sometimes where it would almost bog down the offense a little bit. And Smith just really, you know, lets the offense flow. Um, you know, his quickness to the paint makes defenses collapse on him. And, you know, he finds open shooter. Um, that's the model that the Sixers are aiming towards, um, D'Angelo Russell possibly coming in next year, or Moutier, you know, that's the type of player I feel like Sam Hinkie's aiming for the Sixers to have at point guard. Um, you know, outside of the Bulls game where Ish took 21 shots, you know, he hovers around the 10 to 13 shots a game kind of uh, stat line, and, you know, he just sticks to being that distributor and doesn't go outside of his game. And um, I think that's really key with the offense moving forward is just to, you know, play your role and no one's really being relied upon so much for offense. It's just find the open man, you know, work it in the paint, work it to the outside shooters. And it's been, you know, working pretty well so far. But I mean, I feel like we talk about point guards way too much on the show, especially recently after MCW left. Um, we don't give too much love to the big guys. And one of the big guys who isn't getting much love these days is Henry Sims. Um, just, you know, once a reliable off offensive option off the bench as a rotational guy, just glued to the bench recently. He's played in just five of the Sixers past 10 games in March. And, um, you know, he registered just 14.6 minutes per game. What gives Mike? What's going on with Henry? What's going on with uh, this minute allotment right now? <laughs> what gives is a good question. Henry, he's been a guy that I've liked, too, since uh, since they brought in. I thought at first when he came over at the trade deadline last year, he might have you know, just been a throw-in, a, you know, a guy that would have been gone by the end of the season. But, uh, you know, he proved himself to be a serviceable big guy off the bench. He has a nice little touch, you know, up to 15 feet. He's real reliable with that mid-range dot. He can finish around the rim. A decent rebounder, you know, not exceptionally quick and not exceptionally athletic, but definitely solid for the reserve role. I think more than anything, uh, you know, his his play recently has just been attributed to 
Well, obviously the uh, the arrival and the solid play of Thomas Robinson affects it because mm-hmm. that's you know another front court player, and they're not Robinson's not playing a, a ton of minutes, but right there around 18, it would be going to another front court player. And you know, some would argue that he, Tr could be playing more just with uh, you know he how often he gets rebounds in a short period of time that he's in there. And uh, another thing I've noticed recently is Brett, uh, he likes sliding guy like some of the guys that you would consider small forwards and playing them as a small ball fours. Like uh, last night, for instance, like Jeremy Grant was playing the four alongside Noel for a stretch before uh, before Noel got hurt. And he does the same with Mute um, sometimes. And mm-hmm. I think that opens it up for, you know, the way the Sixers like to play as far as pushing the ball, getting out on a break penetrating and, you know, either getting the ball to the rack or shooting threes. Um, Henry's just not necessarily the, the exact type of fit for that type of play. You know, he's a little bit slower, more kind of like around the basket type guy. And I feel like having, um, you know, some of the wing players play in the front court position um, just kind of opens it up for that style, whereas they can get, you know, get a defensive rebound outlet, get down the court, spread the, spread the floor and attack the rim and, you know, keep, uh, chase it out to the arc. So I think more than anything, mm-hmm. that's that's a factor more so than anything he's done. Um, when he's gotten the opportunity to go in there, like recently, he's still been ready, you know, you know, doing what he can. Brett has said that it's, you know, he's he he's applauded Henry's attitude and effort. Um, but you have to wonder if if that's you know based off these current trends, if he's a guy that might be gone uh, after the season. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, like like you said. The Thomas Robinson love affair recently has seriously hurt his stock. And, um, you know, Brown also has his own love affair with Luke. Um, you know, that's been going on all season. So it's it's kind of hard for him right now to really break into that minute allotment. Um, you know, that's the only reason why I can see them not playing Henry. Um, the minute allotment issues and just, you know, it's tough on Brett Brown right now being able to decide, you know, who should be playing, who shouldn't be playing. You know, my myself personally would take Henry over Firkin any day of the week. Um, but, you know, what do you think about that? Why is he seeing more minutes than Henry right now? Honestly, that's a, that's a question that I cannot answer. I've wondered the same thing myself. I've actually, I've wondered to a couple of the other uh, guys sitting in the media section, it's, it's that's something maybe that's not even in necessarily Brett's like control totally if he's getting told from above to get at least work for a can into the lineup a little bit cause, because honestly I mean he he showed himself to be a reliable rebounder but there's, he just doesn't seem to bring much else to the game to, especially at the NBA level at this point I mean he seems still sort of raw like he could benefit from even a drop down in the D league or something and yeah seeing him play over a guy like. Henry, who's basically done everything, you know, that has been asked of him over the past year and that has some obvious skills as a, you know, serviceable backup big, is definitely a head-scratcher that, uh, you know, I think only Brett really would be able to answer himself. Yeah, I mean, to me that's freaking ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Jeff McManaman, alongside Mike lukaski Um you know, we're getting close to the end of the season here. His ode to the Sixers currently sits at pick number 16. And um, the Thunder pick barely doesn't transfer right now. Um, they're two two games back right now in the Wizards for the 11th, 11th best record in the league. And, um, 
the Heat actually have a fairly um, good amount of winnable games to end the season, which also isn't a good scenario for Sixers fans. And to make matters worse, the Thunder have one of the most brutal, brutal schedules to end the season. Um, are you starting to get starting to get more nervous about that Thunder pick actually transferring? Yeah, it's not it's not looking so great at this point. You know, uh, Durant still continues to be out, and Westbrook. I mean, you can only do so much. He's playing at an unbelievable rate right now. But um, you know, it's kind of tough fit. Aside from what we're talking about, it's kind of tough that either you know Westbrook and Durant or Anthony Davis is going to be out of the playoffs in favor of you know a team like Boston or Indiana this year. Um, that's you know food for thought for a separate argument as far as <clears throat> realigning mm-hmm. the playoff picture that uh, you know it's been brought up recently to, to just take the uh, division winners and the best teams record wise. But um, yeah, the the Thunder, you know. If, I feel like all season everyone kind of took it for granted that they would be in the playoffs, you know. Yeah, they'll they'll get there no matter what, you know, once everyone comes back. And now it's getting down to the stretch in the final month. Durant's still hurt. Ibaka's out now for the for, you know the foreseeable future. Maybe he could get back if they make the playoffs. But, you know, that's another huge piece, another huge blow for that team. It's just, yeah, and it's like the Pelicans are playing exceptionally well, and it's just, getting to that point where mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, you don't feel too good about that pick coming over. Um, you know, we're at a point where you thought maybe, yeah, it definitely was. And at this point, it's just, you know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't look so good. I was wondering myself, if the Thunder missed out on the playoffs, would they be one of the most talented teams ever not to make the playoffs? I would have to say so. I mean, you know, what other team could stack up against that one? Yeah, I mean, there's oh, not many. And there's not many. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you'd have to think that, um, in order for Westbrook to win MVP, they would have to make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be a really tough decision um, towards the end of the season. You know, if if they're out, despite what Westbrook has done, which has been incredible this season. Um, you know, you can't give the MVP award to a team that doesn't make the playoffs. Nah, definitely not. Um, but, yeah, moving on, uh, you know, I, I'd just be pretty bummed about that Thunder pick not transferring. Um, but I'm more upset with the Heat pick, you know, being lower. Um, because, you know, what we gave up, Thaddeus Young um, for possibly the 16th pick in the upcoming draft, I feel like you definitely won't find as much value there. You know, even if Thaddeus was indeed leaving, um, you know, the 16th pick, missing out on prospects like Jaron Grant or Kelly Oubre, um, you know, I, I feel like that's a pretty big blow for what they gave up. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's tough. You you thought maybe at the time it would have been a little bit higher um, for Fed all things considered, but, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully this draft pans out to be, you know, a little deep and even a little bit later then maybe they could find a prospect. Like you said, Thad is probably out the door anyway. And, uh, he's getting rave reviews in Brooklyn, by the way, I was reading some, uh, some stuff from their beat guys where he's just kind of mm-hmm. energizing that team over there. But, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I think it was it was one of those things where like like you acknowledged he was he was going to be gone anyway, and at least there's some value, and hopefully, you know, I'm still a decently high first round pick, and you just hope it pans out into something. Yeah, um, it, and you know, the Thunder pick, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't transfer. You know, they have many attempts for it to transfer. You know, next season or the year after that. Um, but this is a pretty deep draft, so. Um, you always look to get that pick uh, as soon as possible um, in a draft like this. And, uh, you know, the Thunder could be unbelievably good next year. And then you're looking at, you know, the 30th pick in the draft. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, so the Sixers have 16 wins um, after that win over the Pistons last night. Um, they would need four more wins to surpass the 19-win total of a season ago. Um, they faced the Knicks twice, the Lakers twice, the Wizards twice, um, who they beat, the Kings, who they beat, and uh, the Hornets, who they beat, um, down the end of the stretch here. So, Mike, is this attainable? And, uh, you know, what does that mean from a national perspective after everything that was said about Hinky and the, the Sixers basically all season? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I think it's, it's probably likely unless they really start not playing some of their guys or something. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty likely that they'll surpass the total from last season, which is, you know, um, pretty, I guess, uh, ironic at considering, you know, some of the things that were said about the team prior to the season. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of amusing considering that they got that win total last year playing half the season with guys like uh, Evan Turner and Thad and Spencer. And this year, I mean, this year it feels it feels much more. Uh, I don't know how to, what word to say necessarily. It feels better, I guess, because you know this was done with guys that are going to be here, like build, building towards something, as opposed to guys that you knew were going to get uh, traded away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say that they're they're looking at you know probably a twenty win season, which considering you know the uh, the projections early on, it's definitely a, a surprise. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I really think it's unbelievable. Um, you know, just even looking at all the players who have, you know, played in the game for the Sixers this season, you're looking at 25 different players who have registered a game for the Sixers, not including everyone who they signed and waived immediately because I would probably bring that up to about 35. But, uh, you know, it it's pretty amazing um, you know, last year's team had 23 players on the roster throughout the year. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just a big credit to what Brett Brown has done to take, you know, almost a new face every other week, plug them into the lineup, and make them really compete and help this team win. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter um, if it was Malcolm Lee or if it was Tim Frazier um, you know, Larry Drew, whoever it was, he got to, you know, get up at the end of the day and compete and help his team win. And, um, you know, I, I think it is likely that they could get to 20 wins. I don't know how, you know, the national basketball media would react to that kind of thing um, after everything they've said all year. But um, it is pretty amazing and it's definitely, you know, something I didn't expect. Um, I pegged them at 10 wins 
this season. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously way off. So, um, you know, credit to them. And, uh, you know, they, they've really built a nice foundation um, between the coaching staff and what Sam Hinkie has, you know, tried to accomplish here. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's it for the show today. Um, you know, we'll catch you next week with a lot more Sixers topics. Uh, once again, this was the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McManaman, alongside Michael Kasky Blomain. Um, follow us on that Stitcher, as always, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Was real cool in the school if we got good grades. I trade up phase. The parents would take us to a 76 game. I got my game and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Serva called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown but feeling the fix. Get on that road. They call 670. The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate They ever made a palace ain't famous, but they got the game.